Hey everybody, this is the Carbide Podcast, where we are all things snowmobiles. I appreciate you checking out the program. Hopefully you enjoy the content and join us in the future as we try and grow this thing. For my first episode, I wanted to have somebody that's meant a lot to me in the sport of snowcross. He's only a few years older than me, but he's definitely been someone I've looked up to both on and off the track for years. This, of course, is Mr. Lincoln Lemieux. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. My name is Spencer DeLabria. I appreciate you tuning in. This is episode one. So we all have to start from somewhere, but fortunately for me, I'm starting at the top because I have a very special guest on the line. He's a former regional Pro Open winner. He's a former ISOC Pro Open winner. He's an X Games bronze medalist. He's a team owner. He's a full-time dad, Mr. Lincoln Lemieux. Lincoln, how you doing? Good. How are you, Spencer? I'm good. I'm good. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and joining us today. Yeah, no problem. No, anything for our old East Coast friend. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's just kind of get it kicked off here. If you can uh, go into the way back machine and jog your memory a little bit. What's your earliest memory of snowmobiling? Where did it start for you? Was it trail riding? Was it racing? Where did it start? Yeah, the earliest memory i probably have with riding is it just riding my uh, parents trail sleds around the house you know we would get a a lot of snow when we were younger so it was just trying to pack down every inch of fresh snow out in the fields you know so me and my sister would always be out there riding and uh you know chasing each other around and then <clears throat> and then when she was gone you know i just do it by myself but Still, just always loved riding snowmobiles, always just loved the motorsports aspects of uh, of racing and just, just being on something motorized, you know, so that's just kind of uh, where it all started. I mean, that's how it starts for all us Vermont guys, right? We're on ATVs, we're on snowmobiles, it's just, it's just part of the lifestyle, it's how it goes. Um, what was your first race? When did you get started into, into racing? So our first race, was, or my first race was in 1999 in the island park uh, sorry island pond vermont um yeah it was just 120s back then and i was six years old so it was uh yeah i don't know how into it i was but uh yeah that's where it all started and then we just kind of did it as a family ever you know until 2013 when i get picked up by shearing so uh it's a family sport uh, you know my sister and my dad rode we all loved yeah, we all love riding snowmobiles and, you know, have a big passion for it. Well, yeah, that's a perfect segue into one of my next questions, because for all the East Coast guys, it's kind of par for the course. We know the Lemieux name. It's been a family racing name for a long time. Obviously, your dad, Joe, is way too fast for how old he is, but that's beside the point. And then obviously your sister, Steph, you know, pro women champ multiple times, super fast. Who started first in the Lemieux family for racing? Who who really got into it? And then when did it kind of become a family sport for you guys? Yeah, so my dad always rode dirt bikes when he was younger. Um, so that was like his big, uh, that, he really loved dirt bikes. He was really fast on them back in the day is what he told me. So, uh, so I think he was always looking to get back into, you know, snowmobiling or, or motocross. We tried motocross when we we're, when we were younger too um but we just didn't stick with it you know I played I played other sports so it was uh it was really difficult to juggle you know riding motorcycles and snowmobiles so um so yeah we kind of gave up motorcycles but then we went into snowcross and my my uncle and my cousins were racing at Island Island Pond so uh yeah, when we went, we just kind of did it as an all-family. We went with my uncles and aunt, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. So, But I think my sister, she really got into it. She was really, she picked it up really quick. She was really fast right away. Um, and then, you know, I was super young, riding 120, so it took me, you know, until I got on the bigger sleds to kind of find that passion. And, you know, I was always watching people go so fast, but I was stuck on a 120, you know, so I couldn't really uh, do anything on those. 
But, uh, yeah, so I'd say my sister, and then obviously my dad did it the whole time, and, you know, he just loved it. He, he you know, he hates getting beat by someone else, so, so yeah. But I'd say my sister kind of, you know, got us to do it as a family. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, she's, uh, I know she doesn't race anymore, but there was a couple years between your sister and, and Melanie Acker and then Nikia Williams. It was just that trio in pro women was just always something you had to watch, for sure. Um, yeah. When did you uh, when did you start taking racing a little bit more seriously? I know you said you're just trying to be on rails on your 120, but at what age did you kind of start to take it a little more serious? I would say probably when we, you know, probably 12 or 13 years old. You know, when you first move into the junior class, like 10, 11, like you can barely touch the running boards as a kid. So, you know, it took me, you know, a few years to, you know, just grow and, and uh, the sleds also got better in that time. So uh, around 12, there was a really good group of guys that were racing. So, you know, I was always chasing someone, always trying to get better. And then, uh, you know, when I was 13, you know, you could pretty much do everything on a 550 or a 600 fan sled as you could a 440 for the most part, you know, give or take. You know, you'd break some chain cases here or there. But uh <laughs> Um, you could pretty much do all the big doubles and, and even some triples on a fan sled. So, uh, yeah, so I'd say around 12 or 13. <clears throat> so it sounds like when you were in the junior classes, it was it was pretty competitive. You weren't just walking away with wins. You had a lot of guys that were really, really challenging you. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone, you know, I grew up racing. We were all, I mean, there's always guys older than you or, you know, even if they weren't, um, in your same class, you know, they could still be the same age, but like technically a year, a whole year older than you. So, and that's a big deal when you're 12 or 13, you know, just getting that strength and, and, you know, just growing a little bit more. So, um, yeah, no, it was always competitive growing up. There was so many entries back, back in the day in rock maple racing. And so, uh, yeah, there's always someone to, to, to compete against. So I remember hearing or reading somewhere that you actually skipped the sport class. You went right from racing the juniors right over sport into pro light. It might have been called semi pro back then, but right into pro light. Um, what was the what was the justification and the reasoning behind that? Because that seems like a like a big step and a big jump for such a young guy. Yeah. So yeah, when I was fourteen. I was doing really well in the junior classes. So, um, back then you never got paid contingency for sport. Mm. So my dad was like, we're not going to the races for, uh, for nothing, you know? So I ran a few sport races at the end of the year when I was 14, we had to, you know, sign some waivers or something. Cause you couldn't, you couldn't really do that. But so I ran like two weekends of sport and then the following year when I was 15, I, I jumped up to uh semi-pro. So, yeah. And so how I did kinda, I skipped, I skipped the full season of sport. Um, yeah, I never raced sport really just those two, two weekends. So I could kind of prove that I could move up to pro light. Were you, uh, did you make an impact in pro light immediately or was there still a little bit of a learning curve, even though you were a pretty fast dude at the time? Yeah, it was, it's really hard to remember. So when I was 14, we were on the 440 Rev, and then that following year, it was 07, they came out, or 06, 07, uh, 07, I think, right? They came out with the new uh, um, XP chassis or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, we, we uh, I got third my first year in, in pro light, or sport, or I mean, uh, semi-pro, sorry, um, too many names to remember these days um <laughs> when you get old <laughs> oh yeah but yeah you. yeah my first year because there's two classes there was a semi-pro open and then there's semi-pro stock um i don't really remember how i did in stock i think i came in like six or something and then in the open i got third though so okay awesome yeah it's that's pretty impressive especially considering you know i look back and you guys as a family were always fast but it was still it was still like a, a lower budget effort. You know, you guys were a family team. You weren't, you know, cashing checks from the factory to, to put Skidoo on top. So it was always really impressive to see how successful you guys were with as limited of a budget as you guys had. Yeah, no, yeah. We don't really only got support from, uh, 
you know, ski do themselves, but that wasn't, you know, wasn't, was not a factory, um, sort of effort, you know, just get good deals on sleds and get a parts allowance. And that was about it. And then, uh, you know, we'd have our local sponsors that helped us out and Ronnie Rathburn would always help us out with shocks and tuning the sled. So yeah, no, it was definitely a, uh, a family, uh, effort, but we, you know, we did the most what we could with it and, and it got me where I am today. So yeah. Love to hear it. You had touched on it a little bit earlier that throughout high school, you played, you know, stick and ball sports. I know you played baseball. I know you played football for the academy. How did that kind of play into your mindset going into into the beginning of snowcross season where you're like, hey, I haven't really thought about a snowmobile for six months, and now I got to line up against dudes who haven't quit riding since March. Yeah. Um, yeah, I never really thought of it that way. Um, you know, I always – I love baseball. That's like my, my favorite sport. Um, if I could have been a professional at anything, it would have been that. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so I never looked at it like, hey, I'm not getting on a, on a, uh, snowmobile, you know, or like I'm not running a dirt bike all summer and, and you know, that's going to affect me. You know, I'm like, no one else is riding a snowmobile. So, so it's not going to affect me, you know? So, um, they're, they're so different and, uh, you know, I just love the other sports. So, so I, you know, yeah, I played baseball, I played football and, uh, you know, they were good conditioning and they got me into good shape for uh snowcross season. So, you know, everyone was at the same point in November when, when you'd start riding, um, early in the winter. So it was just who could, uh, get used to the sled the quickest really. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can downplay it all you want, Lincoln. I, I look at it completely different only cause these days, so many dudes ride moto or there's a handful of them that still ride quads. I love you guys, but a lot of people <laughs> ride moto all summer and they basically have a bar in their hands all year long so that when they get back on a sled, it still feels kind of familiar. The fact that you basically hung up the boots in March and then didn't put them back on in any capacity until November, it still makes a lot of your riding really impressive that you were able to come out of the gate so fast every single year. Yeah. 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 I guess so. I mean, but you know, you have to look at it the other way too. Like there's so much risk, um, you know, in racing motocross all summer and fall, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, just when we hopped on the sled in November, we we're fresh and ready to go. We didn't have to worry about anything, you know, whereas some of these other guys probably were, you know, had some nagging injuries from, from the motocross season, you know, just that repetitive movement all the time, you know, they are very similar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about, but it's crazy what, you know, what these supercross and motocross guys do. They ride, they ride from January till, uh, you know, like October, it seems like. So they don't get much of a break. So hats off to them. Yeah, I know. I'm only, uh, I'm only 27, but if I walk the wrong way or I sleep the wrong way, I'm, I'm dragging ass the next day. So I don't know how those guys manage to do any of it. I don't either. <laughs> so another point here that is kind of unique to your story, we don't see it a ton in the snowcross community, but you actually went to college after high school. You went to, to VTC, Vermont Technical College, right? Yep, yep. I went to Vermont Tech for two years. Um, at the end of my second year is when I got picked up by Shearing in, um, I guess it was February then, and uh, or January. I mean, I can't remember but yeah so I went to Vermont Tech for two years for electrical engineering and I got my two-year degree in it in it and then uh you know I decided to stop going to school after I got picked up full-time and and got the factory ride so uh yeah yeah I loved uh I loved electricity in high school and that's kind of was one of my passions uh <clears throat> in high school so so I went to Vermont Tech for electrical engineering and found out that uh you know wiring a house is very different than being an electrical engineer so uh it was kind of a blessing in disguise but uh yeah i have a two-year degree so maybe one day i can use it on do something with it that's awesome that's awesome how was it uh trying to juggle being a full-time college student while also racing pro snowcross on the east coast that had to have been pretty gnarly and some some really long nights for you 
Yeah. Um, luckily, my dad would, you know, he could do all the work on the sleds during the middle of the week. So we'd be ready for the next weekend. But yeah, there wasn't much uh, practice going on. You know, I'd have classes. I think uh, then it was just Monday through Thursday. So I'd get Friday off to go to the race and and, you know, I do it that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was difficult. But uh, just like anything, you know, you have to prioritize your time and, and you know, maybe wake up a little earlier and, and get your work done. But, uh, you know, being a college student isn't isn't the hardest thing on the planet. I can tell you that now. Um, <laughs> so, no, there's plenty of time to do everything. But, you know, looking back, you know, just not being able to practice definitely affects me in those times. And, you know, just being in college, you know. Like we hit on before, you know, I played sports in high school. So when I went to college, you know, I was really just, you know, studying and and racing snowmobiles. So I wasn't playing baseball, wasn't playing football. So I got a little bigger in that time of my life. So, uh, yeah, looking on it, back on it now, I was like, man, if I was in shape those years, it would they would have been completely different. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. I look back on, so when I was racing, at least, out here in Minnesota and doing ice hockey and stuff like that. I never made it any higher than sport light because I was never super fast, but I was in college while I was racing sport light. And I think I rode my sled like once every two weeks or something like that. And then you show up to the weekend and you're like, I don't know how I'm even going to touch these guys who've been riding at ERX every single day this week. Like I just, there's no chance. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, a wild time period. It's unbelievable. And now it's like, you know kids don't even go to school high school or you know they don't they just don't go to school anymore and they don't you know they they don't go to college so it's uh yeah they have a, they have a lot of time to ride their snowmobile during the middle of the week so uh yeah i mean for for what we had and what we got to work with we uh we did good so to be young again right like to be young again right yeah <laughs> so fast forwarding a little bit into your your early pro career on the east coast when did you first turn pro? Was it 2010, 2011, something like that? Yep, yep. So I rode uh, three three years in semi-pro, and then and then I turned pro, so yes. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, I, was when trying... I, was, I think when I was 18, yeah. I can't, oh. I think it was 2010. Yeah, 2010, yeah. 2011, 11, 12, yeah, 13, 14, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to kind of, go back into some of the archives and this may come as a shock to some people, but the snowmobile industry is very small. So it's very tough to come by some of that information. So I think I made it back to like 2011 in some of the point standings, but I couldn't get back far enough. But one thing, one thing that did come up quite a bit was how stacked some of those pro open classes were for East coast snowcross. I mean, at the time you might've, I don't mean you, but I mean like us generally may have not appreciated how fast some of the dudes were, but you look back in the, obviously Danny Poirier, Corin Todd, Matthew Marin was in there for a couple of years on various teams. Derek Ellis came in. There were some fast dudes in that class. There was, there was no slouches. Uh, who were probably yeah, some like, of your, who were some like of your, your big, oh yeah. Bauer was there too for a year, wasn't he? And, uh... Matt Pichet, mm-hmm. Matt Pickner also came to for a couple of years, and then I think Brett uh, Brett Bender bounced in and out for a few years too. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean there was a lot of a lot of uh, ISOC talent there, or WSA or whatever it was back then. So uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, even the the couple 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 rounds where the, uh, the SCM guys crossed mm-hmm. over and some of the CSRA guys came where. You had, you know, Dave Allard and some of these like older, just, just raw talent guys. Like it was, it was, if you could win a pro open race in that time period, you had beat a lot of really fast dudes with a pretty extensive pedigree. Yeah. Yeah. No, there were so many fast guys. I mean, yeah. When you bring SCM into it and, uh, CSRA, you know, Ian Hayden, you know, you had Danny Poyer, Dave Allard, um, then you had a, a bunch of other younger guys from SCM to uh, Donovan, Aslane, and, uh, you know, just a, yeah. a Max Typhi was in there for a little while. Max Typhi, yep, yep, yep. There's so many racers, so, yeah. But, you know, I think my biggest kind of rivals in that time were, you know, I, I mean, I grew up my whole life watching Danny Poyer, and he just mm-hmm. never seemed to get slower, you know. He's still... 
you know, we went to test up at Jordan LaBelle's house uh, mm-hmm. this spring or this fall and, uh, or not, the, you know, this past fall before mm-hmm. getting ready for next, uh, last season. Um, he was still riding and he was still going really fast. So it's just crazy how that guy doesn't age. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was really him and uh, Corn Todd, like you said, you know, we were always battling. Um, I didn't really have much for Danny. You know, I think mm-hmm. the last couple of years that I did okay, you know, I, I'd get some wins, but I wasn't in the best of shape, and no one ever told me that either, you know, so it was like, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then Corin, you know, he was always fast, and you know, and then he got a ride in the ISOC and started, I think he won the uh, Pro Light Championship out there one year, so yep. yeah, no, the the East Coast had a lot of talent, um, so it was, uh, you know, it was it was fun growing up racing against those guys. But uh, you know, I kind of looked up to Danny, so I wouldn't really say we're rivals at all. But yeah, me and Corin for sure were always just battling each other from juniors all the way up until until the pro class. So uh, that was fun. Yeah, it was super cool. So yeah, like you said, Corin won the uh, the pro light title at ISOC in the the 2014 season. Was his first year with Leighton. And then 2015, he bumped up to pro, but 2015 was your full first full-time year racing pro at ISOC. So it was really cool for us East Coast guys to see you two line up together, just just like old times. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, Corin was, he was, uh, he was great on the light. He would get a lot of whole shots and, and lead a lot of laps. So I think that always kind of pushed each other, you know, and I'd see him out front and I was like, I can beat that guy, and, you know probably vice versa when he saw me out front he was like man i can beat him too so so yeah i mean we always just push, pushed each other to get get faster and and get better so so i might have answered my own question here but i'm gonna roll into it anyway so fast forward salamanca 2014 still talking east coast here because obviously that was a pivotal weekend for your career moving into isoc but on the east coast front Going into that weekend, you were 50 points behind Danny for East Coast Pro Open Championship. Corn had departed. Matt Marin was still super fast, but you were right in that mix. Prior to that, I think you had finished second in the Pro Championship two or three years in a row. Was that 2014 year going to be the year, or did you have nothing for Danny in the long haul? No, I, don't, I def- probably didn't have anything for Danny. I think... Uh... <laughs> I think I still finished second in that season in points. Mm-hmm. I think we came back and still raced. Um, but, I, you know, I honestly got better because I went out to, you know, I got the ride from shearing. So, uh, you know, they really taught me everything. You know, it's just, you know, just being able to practice. And, you know, I never, before that time, I never even thought about doing, you know, I, I didn't follow motocross close enough to know that, these guys were doing motos every single day for practice, you know, whether they do, you know, two or three motos or do sprint laps or whatever. I had no idea, uh, you mm-hmm. know, at 20 years old, I was like, you know, kind of clueless. They're like, what do you do for practice? And I was like, I don't know, I just go out and ride, you know. So uh, once I started, you know, actually putting in the time and, you know, doing 15, 20 minutes and, you know, at a time, that's when I uh, really started to pick up my pace and my endurance. So, uh yeah, by the end of that season, I think we were, you know, I just came back and I think I won won the last one. So, uh, yeah, that just showed me how fast I could be. And but yeah, no, I had nothing for Danny. You know, you know, if I, yeah, there were so many guys like you said, Matt Marin. Just it was tough to win. So uh, I was kind of at the point where I was like, still like thinking, like, should I continue with college or should I, you know kind of hang up my racing career and you know i just i had no idea so my head was kind of all over the place yeah i remember that year you uh after you left for isoc you came back or you did the next weekend or the weekend after whatever it was when uh valcor was i know you raced there and then you came back uh at the end of the year after isoc was over for um where the hell was it some upstate new york malone was it yeah yeah. And yeah, the uh, the speed for you was was noticeably different. Like, obviously, the the sled was a little bit slower than what you were used to, but the speed you were riding at, it was noticeable that hey, this guy's been this guy's been messing around with some really fast dudes right now. Yeah, and yeah, the crazy thing is, I didn't, I wasn't able to practice with anyone. Um, 
my old, uh, my old, one of my old mechanics, Levi Endrude, was, uh, he would actually gear up with me and ride with me out there, so, <laughs> it was kind of fun, we would just ride together, but, uh, yeah, no, he taught me a lot, and, and, uh, yeah, in that short season that I got to fill in for, uh, Tim and, and Robbie, um, mm-hmm. I learned so much, and, you know, just technique starting, and, you know, just really important things that helped me a lot in my career, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's where it all started. That's where all my pro career started there, yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. That's perfect segue because that's where we're going next is, you know, that that pivotal weekend for you in 2014 where you got tapped on the shoulder by Steve because, like you said, Robbie was hurt already, and then they brought in, uh, I think they brought in Paul Bowerly to race that weekend, which was pretty funny. But, uh, and then Tim got hurt that weekend as well, so he was he was without a rider, so. You know, in theory, it seems perfect. You know, this factory guy asked, "Hey, will you will you come ride my sled for me?" But was it a no brainer for you, or did you have any reservations? Like, I I don't know if I should do this. What if it doesn't work? Or where were you kind of at with that? Yeah, no, I I was kind of speechless when he came in because you know uh, Steve Sheeran came into my uh, my dad's RV. You know, oh really? Uh, and he was like, you know, hey. Uh, just wondering if you wanted to fill in for the rest of the weekend, ride one of, you know, one of our sleds and blah, 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 blah. And at the time I really didn't even know, like, you know, you, I always knew Warnett and, you know, those guys, but I never knew like shearing for some reason. Um, so, but I obviously knew Tim and I was like, Oh, I get to ride Tim. So that's pretty sweet. Um, so, but at first I was like, man, we, you know, I know how much money it takes and effort. And I was like, I, I don't know. It's kind of up to my dad, really. You know, it's kind of his decision. You know, I don't want to just, you know, leave him hanging after all the money he spent. So, yeah, no, we talked about it for a few minutes as a family. And, you know, we came to the conclusion that we, that I should do it. And <clears throat> yeah, so it wasn't like a, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it right away. You know, I just had to talk to them because we we're in the middle of our weekend racing and, and everything. So, uh, yeah, I just never even thought it would happen. It wasn't even across, you know, it didn't even cross my mind that, um, that something like that would happen. So, so you kind of hit the ground running a little bit. I mean, in, in that race, the one race you did that weekend, I think you were sixth or seventh overall in the, in the main event. And then, uh, signed on full-time for at least the rest of the season, um, got your feet wet, got some more experience. And then I remember coming into the 2015 season, I remember seeing some videos. You had slimmed down. You're like, dude, I've been hitting the gym all summer. The fitness level is different. I'm, I'm ready to kick some ass. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever... By the end of the year, in that filling year, I, got, I think I got a fifth at Lake Geneva. That was my best finish of the mm. year. Um but I was really coming into it, and I actually had a pretty good crash where I, I banged my head pretty good at Lake Geneva. So mm. I thought I could get on the podium that weekend, but, uh, you know, just <laughs> once I knocked myself silly, I wasn't doing anything. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a tough it was a tough start. Just the, the length of those races when I filled in was like, oh, my God, I couldn't breathe after, you know, just <clears throat> I wasn't in good shape. So once I got some races under me and – you know, no knew where I had to be. Um, you know, I kind of made it, I, I made it, uh, work at the end of the season, but, um, yeah, coming in that next year, um, we ended up living in Catherine and I had an apartment in Burlington. Um, I had a landscaping job, so I did that all summer. And then we got into actually my fill in year when I was still, um, in college, one of my friends from college, her name was Anna Gagnon. She, uh, got me into CrossFit when mm-hmm. I started to fill in. So, so I was training CrossFit, you know, when I go back to school in between race weekends. And so that's really, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I started to get in good shape, you know, and then the season ended and I started my landscape job and then I do uh, CrossFit after work. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I worked as hard as I could to try to be in the best shape as I, as I could be. So, you know, get up every day, go to CrossFit, go to my landscaping job and then go back to CrossFit when Catherine was there and, and just hang out. That was like my, my family for the summer. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of work, but CrossFit is so fun. We had a lot of fun there. So, uh, 
Yeah, it was great. And then, uh, yeah, we came swinging coming into that 14-15 season. And, man, I was in, I was in one of the, my, the best shape of my life, honestly. And, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's really where, uh, you know, where I knew – I knew my, my potential was at that point. So, yeah, I was going to say you, you came in pretty hot for, for 15 and 16, you kind of established yourself as a regular top five, regular podium guy that was kind of always on the verge of, of getting to that win. You're just kind of waiting for all the stars to align, but 2016, you finished third overall in the series, which for only your call it second full two and a half seasons, however you want to look at it in pro that was pretty impressive. That was a pretty quick turnaround and pretty quick kind of rise to the top for you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one of the, you know, one of the toughest seasons too, because I, uh, dislocated my shoulder before, <clears throat> before the season. So, uh, I was dealing with that injury the whole year and, um, but yeah, you know, coming into that season three days before Duluth, I dislocated my shoulder um and then you know I just iced it and, and uh, he did, did everything I could to get it ready KT tape whatever it was I just I did it all and uh yeah actually won won that one at Duluth three days later after dislocating my shoulder and then uh I think the next day got fogged out so it was kind of a blessing there let my shoulder rest a little more a little more before we went to Colorado so uh but the problem was, I thought it was, I thought it was good, and then we would get to Colorado, and it was all right hand turns, and I dislocated my right <laughs> shoulder, so <laughs> I got arm pumped like <laughs> after the first after the first round, so uh, <laughs> that was really difficult. Yeah, it must have been a, r- a rough start for you, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember looking back because your first win, you actually got your first win at Duluth at the sixteen uh, seventeen season yep and i i remember because i was at my it was thanksgiving weekend of course as duluth always was and i was actually at my mom's house in southern new hampshire and then i was flying back to uh to duluth which is where i was going to college so i was at home for that weekend but i remember landing and checking social media and seeing that you won i was like are you kidding me i missed i missed the dude's first win i watched every race of the year and i missed this dude's first win but yeah that must have been a that must have been a wild experience for you Oh, it's crazy! Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a fun race. I got the, you know, I got the whole shot, which I did with many of my wins, and uh, just led every lap. And uh, Tim was right behind me, pushing me right to the end. So it was, it was a uh, pretty awesome to finish one too. You know, my first win. So he was always a, uh, one of my big mentors and someone I looked up to. So uh, yeah, it was an awesome first one. So how much uh, were you still kind of riding a high, or how much additional confidence did you have after? a couple seasons finishing top five, top three in points, and then, you know, starting the season with a win. You got to be, you got to be feeling confident for the rest of the year at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the most part, I mean, there was, you know, Tucker was still in there. So it was, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't go into the race and saying, you know, saying that you're going to win every single race with him there, you know, cause he won, you know, 10 to 15 races every single season so uh, so that kind of kills some of your confidence right away but uh you know but at the same time it gives you motivation to be better and be as fast as he was so uh yeah you know I just worked as hard as I could you know try to take things from him all the guys that were faster Ross Tim um Tucker Cody you know all those guys You you could take something from them and learn something every single race and that's just what I tried to do so uh yeah, honestly, I, I had a lot of motivation to be to be good, um, and you wonder, you know, being someone like Tucker, like how does he have that much motivation every season after season, mm-hmm. getting that many wins? You know, like how does how does he keep that up? But uh, he did, so uh, yeah. Yeah, well, over the next couple of years, you kind of you kind of became a bit of a a Ryan Dungey esque guy in snowcross. You kind of became a pillar of consistency because it's going through some of these stats and you know there's countless podiums there's countless wins over the next couple years but you only actually finished outside the top five in points when you got hurt any any season that you were there racing every weekend or at least most of the weekends you finished top five which is not something that a lot of dudes would be able to say 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that again that goes to you know just being a good starter, um, and being able to to erase the pace, you know. So uh, yeah, I'm back in my younger days, you know, before a lot of the injuries. I was kind of more of a balls to the wall guy, you know. I could make mm-hmm. a lot of passes quick, um, but then as I got older, you know, I just I really focused on that whole shot and riding smooth and just trying to be smart and. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know which way was better, but uh, yeah. I mean, I wish a lot of those injuries didn't happen, but uh, you know, you can't take those back. So uh, yeah, no, I was pretty consistent. You know, when I wasn't hurt, um, you know, I was always fighting for a podium spot. You know, always in the top five, it seemed like. But uh, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of big crashes, a lot of, a lot of uh, dumb, dumb injuries. So uh, yeah. It it happens to the best of us, right? Yeah, oh, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so looking into 2017, this might be a bit controversial for, for some people. I'm not trying to stir the pot here. But 2017, Winter X Games, last year of Winter X Games. Broadcasting wasn't great. Track wasn't great. But you managed to get third overall behind Adam Renheim and Peter Narsa. You and I grew up around the same time where back in the day, Winter X Games was on ESPN. For a lot of us, it was the only time we could watch racing that was not in Vermont or on the East Coast. You know, it was kind of this pinnacle for a lot of us in racing. I have to imagine, despite everything that was going on with X Games, that medal still meant a lot to you and was still a really cool career accomplishment. Oh, yeah, it was so cool. You know, like you said, it was always something that we... uh you know, you dream about doing, you know, just racing in the Winter X Games, you know. I remember growing up, they had all the qualifiers, and, you know, you get to see, you know, you get to see the guys try to come from ISOC and qualify and beat all the regional guys, you know, which was disappointing because there's always, there's always like a a national guy there, you know, taking spots away Mm -hmm. from the regional guys, but, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. But yeah, no, that, that was really cool. You know, the track wasn't the greatest, um, but still, I mean, uh, I, I did get lucky actually to make that final. I remember there was two red flags, and on the third restart, I actually got the whole shot in the round and won the heat race. And the way X Games worked was you have to you had to finish like top four in your round to make it to the final, and that mm-hmm. was it. You know, there wasn't there wasn't two heats, a LCQ, and a final. There was one round mm-hmm. and a final. That was it. So, uh, I, I, luckily I made it in and then, you know, had a decent start and was just kind of, fin- you know, kind of riding in third and, but you know, the biggest thing in that race was I held off Tucker for, you know, 20 laps, you know, mm-hmm. he found some nifty lines. Oh, sorry. Um, stop. sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, Tucker found some nifty lines around that track, and uh, I kind of, I kind of caught on to him, and I, I held him off. So that was the biggest thing. There was, I think, that was more of an accomplishment than uh, winning or getting third. You know, is just, you know, I held off Tucker for uh, thirty laps in the X Games, which not too many people did. So, yeah, that uh, that race actually ended, uh, if I remember right, that ended his streak. He was at like nine medal, nine golds in a row at that point in time. And that was where that was where his streak ended, which is still just wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't stop it. Narsa got a good whole shot, and it was a tough track to gain some time on. But uh, yeah, that's disappointing for him. But uh, I think he can uh, look at all those other medals on his uh, wall and be pretty happy. So, <laughs> oh, for <laughs> I'll sure. Be happy. I'll be happy with my one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So moving into the next couple of years, you know, you had some some consistent seasons, still had some injuries, but overall still a top five guy and everything like that. But at the end of the 21 season, after you're coming off some injuries, you kind of got the word that cheering was going to be going to be moving on and going a different direction. And it was obviously a tough time with boss racing, leaving the sport at the time and Skidoo had limited options for a factory effort. So you were kind of left to figure things out on your own, but how close were you at that point to just kind of saying, I'm good, I'm done. I'll, I'll move on with my life. 
Yeah, I mean, I pretty much said that, and then uh, <clears throat> Jake called me. Jake De Silva called me, and he was like, "Dude, you say you ride next year?" And I was like, "Nah, I don't think so. Uh, sharing's not having me back." And yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And he's like, "Let's just start our own team." I just like kind of as a joke, and then uh, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And but yeah, I mean, I was pretty much ready to. Uh, I called all around, you know, just looking for a ride and asking people. And they were like, at that time, it was, you know, beginning of June and everyone mm. had filled all their seats already, you know. So, I mean, pretty much everyone knows by June what they're mm. doing. You know? So, uh, you know, they didn't. And sharing being a team, they don't really directly deal with ski or, you know, they're they're kind of their own, own team, you know. So mm. where the Warnet and the Fiends and... And these other Skidoo teams are told by Skidoo, like, you know, these are who people you can sign or, you know, who's going to be on your team, basically. Skidoo gives them those riders. So, um, yeah, you know, no one knew that I didn't really have a ride. And, you know, I never really searched around in my career and looked for rides. So, um, yeah, so I, I was ready to hang it up. But uh, Jake called, and that's when we started 1-3. So, so you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I was curious. So you didn't have any other offers from any other non-Skidoo teams at that time. Nobody was willing to to offer you a seat. No, because uh, I only talked to one team. I talked to the new all-finish team, which they were going to – they were creating that team for that season. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to them a little bit, but uh, nothing came of it. And – yeah, you know, in my career, I was so focused on just being the best writer I could that I didn't really build a lot of relationships in the industry. So I I was never really worried about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even after that that season, I wasn't worried because um, I was top. I was top two all season, really. And then uh, you know, I had some bad finishes. Our sled was um, our shock package was horrible that year. So. Uh, yeah, it was just my confidence was just gone by the end of the year. And, um, yeah, even coming into that last race, I wasn't really worried about having a ride for next season. And then I, I got the news that I wasn't going to be back for the team. And, you know, it was what it was. But, uh, yeah, so I, I really, no one else really reached out. Um, I reached out to Polaris, but they had all their, their seats filled. And um, I I wasn't really sure that I wanted to try to ride Articat because, you know, I really wanted to stick with Ski Doo um, just because that's what I've rode since I was 10 years old. So, mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't have any rides either. So, yeah, we had to uh, try to figure out our own way. Well, luckily, Jake De Silva is very stubborn and he made sure that you had a ride and made sure you had something something going on for uh for the next season. So, yeah, you guys kind of pulled the trigger for 13 Motorsports and said, "Hey, we're going to we're going to put together a program based around Lincoln and and we're going racing." But that was still like you said June, July, and you're trying to put together a program, get a semi, all this stuff all before the season opener. How stressful and how gnarly was that summer of both trying to get in shape and rehab and all this stuff, but also building an entire program from scratch. Yeah, no, it was pretty stressful because any other year I'm usually, I was usually back in the gym by April, you know, um, the season would end, you know, March 20th, you know, and I'd be back. I'd take two weeks off and I'd be back in the gym in April. Mm -hmm. Um, but that year I blew out my, I tore my patella tendon and broke up, broke a part of my tibia off at that last race in Eagle River. So, so I had surgery on my knee. So I was in a splint for, uh, like three months and then I had to rehab from that, but I didn't do anything because I was like, I, I, I don't think I, I don't have a ride. So I'm not, I'm not going to really work my butt off to get back, you know? So then when we figured out, you know, June, July, that we could put the team together, you know, I had to, I know, sorry, it would have been, I think it was, yeah, beginning of June, because uh, the last time I wore my, my knee brace was uh, in the hospital when we had my my daughter, um, Charlotte, May 23rd, so uh, yeah, so after that, you know, I got back in the gym, you know, started working out every day, and 
rehabbing and just doing the most I could. But then, you know, we had a newborn too. And, <laughs> um, and then we just, you know, we had to buy a semi and man, yeah, there a lot went into it. I wasn't extremely stressed. You know, I knew what I had to do. I knew, um, so yeah, we just kind of did it. And luckily we had a lot of support around us with Jake and Jake knows so many people in the industry. So we got a lot of good sponsors right away. And then my dad, um, Joe and, uh, Scott Calderwood, they, they were big investors and put a lot of money in. So yeah, we got the team started and, uh, yeah, after that it was just, you know, parts inventories and, and just ordering everything and getting the sleds and yeah, we made it work and, uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, hard work, um, and you know it's paying off now that we have our team. So, yeah, it uh, it was wild, kind of knowing the story on the backside. You know, obviously we followed you on social media and knew team was getting created, and knowing you guys, all the efforts that was going to go into that. But then to see it a couple months later, see the the truck pull up to Shakopee and your sleds all wrapped and you guys are all decked out in FXR. And I'm like, you wouldn't even know that this team didn't exist six months ago. You would have no idea based on how well this program is put together. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it, it costs a lot of money, but uh, we got it done and, you know, we, we worked hard for it. So uh, it was fun. Yeah, we couldn't do it without, you know, all of our sponsors. It was it was unbelievable, especially FXR, you know, they were just crazy help right from the get-go, you know, just getting gear right away, you know, like, like we said, we started, we got everything figured out by, uh, you know, end of July, so by then, you know, team orders are already in, and they just, they hooked us up right away, got us decked out, and big shout out to Milt, you know, he's always been, uh, you know, he's always helped me out anytime I needed, um, especially, you know, funding the FXR Mobile Med, and that sort of stuff, you know, I've seen them plenty in my career. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, kind of unbelievable that we got it all done, but, uh, you know, I think it's just, you know, we just have such a big passion for the sport and, uh, you know, Jake, I think Jake loves snowcross more than anyone I know. And then my dad's right behind him. So, uh, so yeah, we got it done. It was, it was definitely interesting to watch kind of the progression of you throughout 2022 2022 season only because we knew the speed you know you knew the speed was going to be there we've seen it for years and years but this is a new sled for you building the program around you so it was definitely cool to watch the progression as you were gaining throughout the season and then debut hits and season kind of comes to a screeching halt and i don't need to talk too much about the crash that's not a fun time nobody wants to really think about that but the more impressive part and part I'm more interested in is the fact that two months later you were back on a sled for Cannonsburg, like nothing happened. How did, how did you pull that off? <laughs> yeah, definitely something happened, but, uh, <clears throat> my wife was not, not impressed with me one bit. Um, but you know, I just had to get back out there, you know, it's just kind of, just in my blood, and I couldn't let the last time me, me racing a, a national pro race be uh, in a stretcher. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we literally got, I got cleared that, you know, a couple weeks before that race, and uh, I practiced a few times, and, you know, still trying to help out Leo, uh, Pat Node, and, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, came back for that last race, and I knew I couldn't race the whole weekend, I just wasn't in any shape after you know having collapsed lung and broken ribs so i was just i want i just want to race on saturday and just you know walk out on my own terms and uh yeah it was it was honestly some of the funnest racing i've had you know i got to battle with hunter um and then you know i really thought i had a chance you know going into that final i was like man i could rip a whole shot and and win this thing but uh didn't get a I didn't get a start and and uh, after you know a few laps of roost I was just holding on for dear life so uh, but uh, yeah definitely going to be one of the, you know my most memorable race for sure yeah I tell you it uh, it's kind of funny there's there's a handful of moments 
we see it a lot in in other major motorsports of moments where just the entire sport is just cheering for a guy like even his competitors they're just super stoked for him and i swear when you came around that corner at the top of the hill and you were in the lead coming down the hill i don't think there was a single fan in the stands or somebody watching online that was not just screaming like oh my god this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah there people are probably like what the heck is he doing <laughs> but yeah unfortunately hunter got me in that heat race but uh yeah i had a lot of fun racing so so moving forward to the post riding career now you're full-time team owner for one three motorsports and kind of put the sled to the side what's been kind of the most challenging part for you separating yourself from the riding aspect and solely focusing on just being a team owner yeah i mean it's all really difficult um luckily you know you know jake's doing all the parts orders and that stuff during the week so he takes a lot off of everyone's plate but uh really um i want to be more of a, a riding coach um and the first couple of years has been tough because I've been more of like a mechanic, you know, mm -hmm. which I, I really enjoy doing that too, but it's not really, um, what I want to do, you know, that's mm -hmm. not what my forte is. You know, I grew up racing and I learned from the best and, you know, I got to be one of the best, um, for a reason. So I want to try to give back that way and, you know, be out there on the side of the track when they're practicing and just giving them pointers and, and doing that sort of stuff. Um, so that's just, you know, that's just some of it, just kind of balancing my time between being a mechanic, being a riding coach, and then, you know, just doing all the other stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot goes into it, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you need good racers and you need uh, people who want to win, who are dedicated to winning. So. so if you look back on your entire career, even Little Lincoln on his Polaris 120 all the way to one three motorsports lincoln as a rider what do you think is something that you maybe hated or disliked about racing or the industry that now you're an owner and you totally understand and you just wish riders would stop complaining about it <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't know one of the biggest things i see is like people are always you know a lot of riders don't love the track or you know think this should be changed or that should be changed and what i was going back to is like you, you do you think the supercross guys or the uh, motocross guys can tell the you know the dirt crew to go change this jump for them or that you know no they're gonna ride on on what's there you know they can fix some stuff that's sketchy i'm sure they do but uh they're not changing the layouts of tracks and that's what i uh that's one of the things that I don't like is like, there's always riders complaining about layouts of tracks and stuff. It's like, just go ride. Like we're so lucky to be going to a race every single weekend. Like this and just have fun and, and go ride and, and just try to do your best. You know, it's, stop trying to change something because you don't like it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's how I've kind of felt. Grant, I was never as fast as you guys. So I was never fast enough to understand different suspension packages and things like that. But that's how I've always felt about, guys in their setup dudes that just like refuse to ride because their setup is off it's like dude you're fast enough just just ride like ride yeah. ride the sled don't get me wrong I, i've been there you know i've been i've been in some situations where we do some crazy like <clears throat> table to to bumps and i'm not, like you know off the start in the races and i just really didn't like that because I'm like, man, I could case it, fall off, and the guys behind me are going to land on me, you know? But uh, but at the end of the day, it's like you just got to do what you're comfortable with. And, you know, if you're not – if you can't do that jump, then don't do it, you know? So uh, that's what that's what goes into it, you know? You have to have a – you know, your confidence has to be at the highest it can be. And, you know, you have to be all in with your riding. And if you're not, you know, it's, it's going to show. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. You spoke earlier a little bit about how pivotal the support from your sponsors has been for a, for a privately funded team like yourselves. One of the bigger sponsors for you guys this past year was, was Brunt Workwear, and those guys do really sweet boots. They do a lot of kind of blue-collar work apparel and things like that. 
they're kind of a brand who fits our demographic perfectly in every aspect, yet they're a non-endemic snowmobile sponsor, which is really, really rare in our sport to get people like that in the, in the racing. So how did that relationship start for you guys? Yeah. So funny story, actually, one of our good buddies, Derek Vitello, he's a UPS or he was a UPS, uh, delivery, um, driver and he would pick up all the Brun boots at their, their factory and, and go out and deliver it. So, um, Derek is like Jake's best friend. So, mm. uh, uh, yeah, Derek was just talking to him. He's like, you know, just kind of joking and it's like, you guys should sponsor, our, you know, the, our new snowcross team. And yeah, I just kind of took off from there. And, you know, we met Eric and all those guys and Jeremy and, you know, they just kind of, they loved what we were doing and, and, you know, we loved what they're all about. And yeah, we just, you know, we had them full time last season and, uh, yeah, they were our biggest sponsor. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really great to work with them. <clears throat> they did a great job. And I think that the, that we proved that we could do a lot for them as well. So, uh, you know, we worked our butts off, you know, trying to promote their, their brand and, uh, you know, brought them to the races and, um, yeah, Brunt's huge, you know, it's crazy how fast they're growing and, you know, they have some great apparel and boots and, um, it was, it was a blast, you know, starting this relationship and hopefully we can keep it going for a long time and in the future. So looking on, you know, kind of five-year plan for one, three motorsports, what are our short-term goals, long-term goals? Are we a, are we a farm progression team? Are we fighting for a pro championship next year? What's our, what's our long-term play? Um, yeah, our long-term play. I mean, for now we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have Maline until she wants to be done. So, uh, <laughs> um, that's one of our goals, you know, just keep getting, you know, getting her shots at the championship and wins. You know, I think she, um, if she believes uh, she can have an undefeated season, I think she can definitely have one, um, which I think would be the first time ever in our sport, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I always thought I kind of wanted to be like a feeder team, you know, bring up some young guys, but it's, it's really difficult to find, find kids that are, you know, have the heart and drive and that want to win. But also, like you said before, you know, we only have, four months to ride a snowmobile so it's really hard to like scout that talent in one season you know so uh you only get to watch them for that four months so it's really it's really difficult to find find those kids so uh i think you know going going forward in the next five years we want to have a pro and uh we want to compete for a championship so that's uh that's one of our goals and uh yeah, we also have Jeremy Ballou, so he is kind of that our feeder guy, but we kind of want to feed him, you know, keep him and get him to the pro class. So, uh, you know, I think he's got the – he's definitely got the speed, he's got the talent, and he's got the drive. Um, he dislocated his shoulder this past season, so I think once he rehabs from that, you know, we, we'll be good. So, But, yeah, that's kind of our goal for the next five years. You know, we got to – you got Jeremy, he's only 18 years old, and then we have Maline, who's who's getting up there, but she's, as everyone can see, she's in great shape and is driven to win. And then I'm uh, hoping we can find a pro that that will that we can just improve and and really get to that top level. Well, if push comes to shove, I would love to see you and Jake in Pro Am Plus 30. I would love to see it. The rowdiness, the back in my day talk, I would love to see it. Yeah, I don't. I think Jake knows that he'd he'd get smoked if we ever did that. <laughs> um, but we have been talking Jake against my dad. Oh, um, there you go. Which would be a good race. Um, I think Jake Jake might have the speed, but my dad might take him out. So um, it would be fun to watch, though. I mean. I could go out there and ride with those guys, but it wouldn't be much of a competition. <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. My just for the record, my money would be on your dad if uh, him and Jake raced. Hundred <laughs> percent. I think everyone's would be, which is funny. That, that probably just kills Jake inside. <laughs> oh man. 
Well, wrapping things up for you here, if you look back on your entire career, what would you say for you at least is your biggest accomplishment? What are you most proud of? And it doesn't just have to be a race. It can be literally anything in the sport. Yeah, my I mean, my biggest thing is uh, it's an easy one. Just coming back from every injury I I had, you know, um, you know, started off with my uh, ACL, you know, coming back, getting my first podiums, um, getting my first wins, you know, after my dislocated shoulders. I remember when I dislocated my left shoulder, I was like, oh, not again, because I already dislocated my right. You know, I came back. To Deadwood, and I won the weekend right after I dislocated it, which was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you know, just I came back after my knee injuries, and then I came back after I got landed on. So, uh, yeah, that's just kind of one thing I, I look back on that was kind of my greatest accomplishment. You know, I never gave up no matter, you know, how bad it was. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's something you can, you can hang your hat on. You're like, you know, Whatever happened on the track, I was always, I always came back. I was always there, man. I was always putting in the effort. Exactly. Yeah. So if you could pick, I don't want to use the term regret, but maybe use that word biggest regret or biggest kind of what if, as you look back on your career. Yeah, just really knowing from a young age, you know, what I should do, you know, I didn't even really know, but like, I wish I... I wish I was in the gym, you know, in, in high school rather than, you know, I literally just started training when I was 20 years old. So, uh, so I wish, I wish I just started training at a younger age and started doing motos and more of a formatted practice than, than I did, you know, before. Yeah. I wish I just started it before I was 20. So, uh, yeah, that, and you know, I, you, you always wish you could take back the injuries and that sort of stuff, but those are kind of what make you into uh, the rider, you know, that those, those are what made me into the rider that I was. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, really, I, re- I just wish I started, started a training, um, you know, had a program in a younger age. And I think that would have went a long, long ways, but, uh, yeah. It's, uh, just as a, as a East coast guy and somebody who watched a lot of races growing up, it's kind of scary to think, what you could have been if you had trained more, as you're saying, if, if you were as good as you were and you were not training, uh, the rest of the series would have been in for a world of hurt if you were on that program. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it would have been crazy because, you know, I remember just at a young age, you know, I got my first pro or semi pro podium when I was 15 years old, you know, I was just like, and it was so tough for our, us East Coast guys, you know, they were, you were never getting rides like some of those other guys. So uh, that was always disappointing. But, uh, yeah, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Looking beyond snowmobiling, how's how's dad life? How's that treating you? It's good. It's good. Uh, Charlotte's two years old now. Um just turned two in May, and yeah, she's, we're potty training, which is really fun stuff. Um, but no, it's so fun to uh, to watch watch kids grow up. You know, they change so quick, and you know, they go from you just holding them as a baby to then all of a sudden they're walking and then running, and now she's got her own little remote control car that Uncle Jake got her, and. She's got a dirt bike in the cellar and a snow scoot in the shed. So, uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's one of the, the things that I look forward to every single day is getting to see her and, and hang out with her and watch her grow. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to going to those sporting events and, and see if she's into motorized things. If not, that's cool. But if she is, I'm definitely here for that. So, uh, yeah, so can't I can't wait just to watch her grow up. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's cool to think like we we look back and you know our whole lives are kind of just invested in this sport, and then as soon as you become a parent, it's like, yeah, that's cool, but that doesn't really matter. I'm just I'm a dad now, and I'm just all in yeah. on that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, 
No, it's definitely the mo- one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. So, uh, yeah, I just can't wait to see her grow up and do the things that she loves to do. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it at that. Lincoln, I, I thank you so much for joining me on this, this first episode. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate your time. Are we going to see you guys? Are you guys coming out to Hades this year, or are you going to do Epping again? There's talks of going out to Hades and doing Epping, so we might be at both. Definitely Epping, but uh, we'll see about Hades. We're we're hoping we make it out. So Sick, sick. Well, for anybody on the East Coast that makes it out to Epping, be sure to stop by the 1-3 Motorsports truck. Buy some merch. This sport doesn't run on hopes and dreams. I wish it did. We'd all still be in it, but... Lincoln, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Lincoln Lemieux on the Carbide Podcast. What an awesome discussion with Lincoln. He's such a humble guy. If you never brought up snowmobiles around him, you'd probably never know how much he's accomplished in our niche little sport. I appreciate anybody still listening. I really enjoyed this interview and look forward to doing more content like this in the future. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for updates on new episodes and guests. I appreciate your support. We'll see you next time.